Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? It is 1 a.m. on the dot on Monday morning. Uh, you know, Bills fans aren't used to this, being up late, being like jacked after a big uh, national TV night game. But alas, the Buffalo Bills win again, 10-3 and now, their second straight week with a primetime victory on the national stage. Uh, it was... A little bit of an anxiety-ridden game in the first half. Things turned quickly uh, right before halftime. We're going to get into so much of this game tonight. Uh, he is my co-host, Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And, man, I should have stopped at um, I should have stopped at Tops on the way home from the stadium to grab a couple Red Bulls. Or uh, Monster Energy drinks because I I had one earlier in the night, but I, man, it's already one in the morning. I texted you, Ryan. I was like, "Listen, I I was hoping to get home earlier than this, but I think I gotta." I was transcribing. I was doing some interviews. A lot to talk about tonight. Oh, plenty to talk about, and I, I'm pretty wired here. I went through a full pot of coffee. I, I had about four cups here, so I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, plenty to talk about, plenty of reason to be awake right now, Bills Mafia. Get excited about this legitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, so we're sitting here. <laughs> well, okay, so a lot to talk about. Let's do a quick recap of this game and how it was playing out. I mean, it was, you know, um, scenes out of nightmares uh, pass for this Bills team in the first half. I mean, the way that this started off, um, the offense was struggling, kind of puttering along a little bit in the first half. Then it was a, a, a huge play by the defense, a defense that everybody's been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like, is this going to be the year where, you know, the offense comes a lot, comes around and the defense, um, you know, isn't matching their, that level and it holds the team back. Well, Taron Johnson, and, you know, we're going to talk about Levi Wallace a little bit later, but he made a big play uh, before the Taron Johnson play to break up a, a ball. To, I believe it was Chase Claypool. 
Uh, a player or two later, Taron Johnson steps in front of a Ben Roethlisberger to Juju Smith-Schuster, and we'll talk about him as well, uh, pass to him, takes it to the house, the first pick six since 2017. Um, unbelievable. I mean, just the momentum that shifted right there. The Bills take a 9-7 lead in the halftime. Tyler Bass, of course, missed an extra point because he's on my fantasy team. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, big momentum shifter before halftime. Yeah, huge momentum shift. And, and how many times have we sat here, Matt, and talked about how this coaching staff sticks with players? Players that fans call for changes to be made, media calls for changes to be made. Beginning of the year, Taron Johnson was one of those players. The, the, oh, my goodness. He, you know, he, he's supposed to be at least good against the run, and he can't tackle, and he's giving up all these big plays, and he's a liability in coverage. Ever since week nine against Seattle, Something for Taron Johnson, something for this Bills defense has really clicked. And all of a sudden, he's looking like that player that we saw as a rookie that was like, wow, what a really good value pick for the Bills. Um, what an asset he is in, as that nickel cornerback, something that in today's NFL you really need. And he showed up again tonight. And, and you know, I'm a believer in momentum in sports. And that play shifted the entire momentum in this game. And from that point on, it was it was the Bills' game to win. And then they came out, and, and believe it or not, they had a strong third quarter. Uh, so many things went right for this team, and it started with the play of Taron Johnson and the interception. Yeah, let's talk about that third quarter because, I mean, I felt like the first drive coming out of halftime, Stefan Diggs took over this game. And, you know, he was the main focus of my uh, at the uh, final whistle story over at the website. Go check that out. We'll have much more from this game uh, tonight and into tomorrow. Um, but you could just tell that, you know, Diggs said something after the game that kind of perked my ear up. He's like, I, and he says it every week. He says it every time we talk to him. I wanted to be there for Josh Allen. He goes up to him repeatedly during the game just to check on him and make sure that, you know, he's, you know, staying on task and knowing that, you know, these guys are going to make plays if he gets the ball in their hands. And you saw that Josh Allen came out specifically targeting Stefan Diggs. He had four catches, uh, ended up scoring the touchdown drive out of the half. And then it never really felt close. And I, I tweeted, even though the bills gave up the, uh, they ended up giving up, um, they come down, they score another touchdown, Gabriel Davis, uh, ends up getting the next one. They go up two scores, and then the, the Steelers, of course, make it interesting. They score a touchdown, get a two-point conversion. we got to track down the numbers on that because fans really wanted to uh, uh, talk about that. Um, and I said, oop, this one might not be over yet. But it, even in that moment, it still felt like it was kind of over with the way that this Bills offense had figured it out. Yeah, the Bills are all of a sudden sustaining drives, putting together long drives. Um, and, and you saw it at the end of the game, a seven-plus-minute drive to, to seal the game away uh, when they really needed it. And, and big runs by Josh Allen, big runs by Zach Moss, uh, great catches by the offense when needed. Even when they were backed up with penalties, they came through. So the, the Bills in the second half, the offense, I should say, was a completely different unit than what we saw in the first half. And like you said, Stephon Diggs set the tone for that second half, uh, overtaking that drive, running great routes, turning guys around. And obviously on the touchdown, his uh, defenders slipped at first. Uh, and, and he made a great move, though, to get away from everyone else. But he made continue, you know, he made multiple plays in this game. Gabe Gabriel Davis scores the touchdown. Cole Beasley's reliable as usual. And I know a lot of fans were on Dawson Knox after that fumble, and I understand it. There's a lot of reason 
uh, to be against him. Someone told me that uh, if the Bills set Zach Moss uh, for what they did for his fumble last week, we should never see Dawson Knox again. And, you know, quite a bit of an overreaction there. But guess what Knox does? He draws a, a pass interference that gets the Bills down to the one. They can't punch it in for the touchdown, but it's a field goal that gives them that two-possession lead again. On a big third down play, he kind of le- he leaks out. Josh Allen hits him. He gets the yards after the catch to move the chains. Two huge pay, uh, plays for the tight end. Two touchdowns in the previous two weeks. So all of a sudden, even he's clicking. And the best news of all, John Brown is eligible to return as early as next week. This offense is playing good football, and it should only get better, Matt. So let's get into something. Um, I want to talk more about Stefan Diggs, and you know this this could go a while, guys. I mean, this you know get comfortable, go you know maybe mix yourself a a, a cup of coffee, uh, microwave some popcorn. So we got a lot to talk about here tonight. But one thing that I saw today that I thought was so interesting. First off, well, before I get to this, I want to talk about Kansas City a little bit, but let's talk about Diggs and go back to this trade. And I tweeted out, and I said definitively that the Bills won this trade. And and, and I want to ex- expand on that and explain it a little bit because I think that, you know, of course, if you take the assets that the Steelers got or that the Vikings got in that deal, uh, they got four draft picks, three this year, one next year for basically Diggs and a seventh rounder. And they added Justin Jefferson, who's putting up similar numbers. But I think that the difference is when you when you take Justin Jefferson and Stefan Diggs is we already really know who Stefan Diggs is going to be week in, week out, year in, year out. Justin Jefferson's played 12, 13 games in this league. He's had a great season, a great rookie season, but you really aren't that until you do it year after year, game in and game out. And go look at today's game against Tampa Bay, a team that had some time to prepare for Justin Jefferson. The Minnesota Vikings offense was atrocious in that game. 26-14, they couldn't get anything going in the second half. He was held to four catches on eight targets for 39 yards. In a game where the Bills were getting absolutely stymied stymied on offense Stefan Diggs reached into his bag and he came out here and he was dropping defenders I mean you saw it I don't know if it was the footing out there I don't know what it was but Stefan these Pittsburgh defensive backs and I know Joe Hayden wasn't playing they couldn't hang with him there was at least two occasions where Pittsburgh defensive backs fell on a on a Stefan Diggs route so this was what you went out and got him for in these big moments. And Deion, da- Deion Dawkins said today after the game, Heather Prusak, great question, great answer. He said sometimes he watches Stefan Diggs out there and he wants to take the captaincy off of his own jersey and place it on Stefan Diggs. What he has meant to this franchise, not only through the production, he tied Eric Mould with 100 catches and he's still got three games to go. Not just that. I'm talking about the impact and influence he's had on everybody around him and the calming presence he's so obviously been for Josh Allen. Calming presence for Josh Allen adds a little bit of swagger to that offense. I think he builds some confidence for that offense, and you mentioned it. He is on pace to have the greatest single season in Bills receiving history. He needs one catch to surpass Eric Moulds in terms of receptions. I think he needs 201 yards or maybe 202 yards. Uh, in the yard category to pass, uh, I believe, molds again. Uh, so he is on pace to pass in both categories. He is having a phenomenal season. Still plenty of time left. Still many opportunities for him to get that done. But, yeah, he, he's added so much to this offense. And, you know, I'm not trying to bash Justin Jefferson, but also go and look in and see how many of those yards come in in garbage time or when Kirk Cousins and the Vikings 
are, are going against a prevent defense because they're trying to play catch up. Justin Jefferson's having a phenomenal rookie year, but tape is out on him. Teams will start figuring some things out and how to play against him. It, it's just one of those things where it's going to happen over time where where he is having a great year, but look what Diggs is doing week in, week out, helping create for other players in the weeks where maybe he's not as involved in terms of the yards or the touchdowns because every defense has to have a game plan for Stephon Diggs. I want to flip over to this Kansas City game today because I watched that this afternoon and we were texting about it and and Tua Tagovailoa's uh, performance in that game. And first and foremost, let me say, hats off to Tua. I I tweeted out early in that game how long is Brian Flores going to stick with him because that defense was playing so good. They had Patrick Mahomes on the ropes. He ended up throwing three interceptions in that game, and he at times looked really bad. And you know, at times tonight, you know, you can make that argument that Josh Allen looked really bad, but hats off to Tua. He really hung in there. He ended up throwing for 316 yards, two touchdowns. He ran for another one, had himself a good game. And I think that's part of the reason why Patrick Mahomes' stats look like this. But when you talk about the evolution of Josh Allen and what he's kind of become, it's very similar to now that what I see out of a Patrick Mahomes who can go into a period of time where he struggles and he was struggling today. He didn't look comfortable. He wasn't in sync with his receivers. He threw a couple interceptions in the first quarter, just or he had an interception and a fumble in the in the first quarter. They turned the ball over like crazy today, that Kansas City offense. But he stuck with it, stuck with it. You just can't keep them down. 393 yards, two touchdowns for Patrick Mahomes. Now, the yardage numbers aren't there, but the effectiveness of this offense, 10 for 10 for Josh Allen for 140 yards, ish and two touchdowns in that third quarter there's parallels to be drawn between those two performances great elite quarterbacks can have bad moments like we saw from Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs last year in the Super Bowl last year and and figure it out and and make big plays down the stretch to win games that's what both of those quarterbacks did today yeah uh you know Josh Allen has an interception early in the game arm gets hit as he's releasing it looks like he had Cole Beasley down the sideline uh maybe if his arm wasn't hit on that play but consistent pressure it was throwing Josh Allen off he wasn't uh, delivering the ball accurately uh having to get rid of the ball probably a little bit sooner than he wanted on certain plays but when the Bills needed him most in that second half he had a great game plan uh, shout out to Brian DeBull, according to Chris Collinsworth. That's how you pronounce uh, <laughs> Dable's name. It, it had me laughing here at home. But they, they made the right adjustments. Josh Allen made the right plays. In the second half, he was calling out what he saw, and everything, again, was right. He's been doing this a lot this season. He gets up to the line. He sees what the defense is doing. He adjusts at the line, and it's the right call. And he's finding guys, hitting them quickly, uh, letting his playmakers make plays, doing a little shoulder shake to hit Gabriel Davis for touchdowns left and right. He is on his game when he needs to be. He's not letting early mistakes get him down or frazzle him. And again, this this was no slouch of a defense. I know they didn't have Joe Hayden. I know the linebacker position's a little beat up. But you can say that about any team going into a game about certain positions uh, week in, week out. Nonetheless, Josh Allen responded when he needed it. Stat line may not have been flashy, but it was more than enough to defeat this really solid Pittsburgh Steelers defense. The game plan was really strong um, out of the gates for for Pittsburgh. They they figured out a way to 
Um, confused Josh a little bit with the pressure. The offensive line obviously had its struggles. Um, we can definitely hit on that later in the show if you guys want us to. But let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball because one of the things that I put in the preview uh, about the Bills defense was that I kind of noticed a little bit of a trend for the Pittsburgh Steelers offense over the last couple of weeks. They've converted at you know 45% or higher on third downs throughout the season. I think that's one of the big reasons their offense has been so successful, helped them you know get to those ele- that 11-0 perfect record uh, before they lost to the Washington football team last week. But I've, so, I've noticed a dip the last couple of weeks. They've been at about 40% uh, converting on third down. And I thought, you know, okay, that's something the Bills have really done a good job of the last couple of weeks. It started with the Chargers when they held them to three conversions on 16 third down attempts. You know, that's the kind of that's the kind of play that, you know, reminds me of the, the, the Sean McDermott defense, Leslie Frazier defense from last year. Tonight, the Pittsburgh Steelers were one for 10 on third down. They could get no rhythm going on offense, no continuity. What even when they did uh you know opportunistic plays, turnovers in the second half, a couple of sacks, Matt Milano absolutely blowing up uh Big Ben Roethlisberger kind of came off the field a little uh little injured on that one play. But overall as a defensive performance, it was pretty, pretty sensational considering where this unit was even a month ago. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh that third down defense, I, I mean it, it, a th- Getting off the field on third down is just as good as a turnover, interception, fumble recovery, whatever you want to say. And they were doing it with relative ease. They were making plays, breaking up passes, getting pressure, enforcing bad throws. Uh, long ball where Trey White was closest in coverage. Uh, throw where Trey White dove to catch it because he was closest in coverage. They had Roethlisberger off his game. And to set up those third down plays, how good was the run defense to that tonight? They were shutting down every back that the Steelers rolled out there. No running back for the Steelers had more than 20 yards. I think 18 yards is the leading ball carrier for uh, the Steelers tonight. So that says something because that was Buffalo's weakness. And, and yes, they didn't have a ton of carries. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. But they were trying to establish the run. They just couldn't get anything going. So they were setting themselves up for uh, second and long situations, third and medium situations, because the run game was not effective tonight. If the Bills can get that run game going, as we've seen, uh, you, you know that was such a big issue for them early this year. If they can get that run defense and play like they are uh, uh, in pass coverage, this all of a sudden is going to be a, a team that's playing well in all three phases. Because, again, shout-out to the special teams. Shout-out to Andre Roberts, 31 yards on uh, kick return average. This would make the Bills one of the scariest teams in both conferences in the playoffs that they're playing well in all three phases. All right. A lot more to get to. Leave your questions, anything that you guys want us to hit on in the comments. We will be glad to do that. Before we do, a quick word from sponsor. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. So you mentioned Dawson Knox. We can we let's talk about him a little bit because um you know, he was on his way to becoming a, a real goat uh early on in that game. Had the fumble maybe the interception it was kind of a funky little play where he kind of had a bobble and the ball ended up popping out of his hands I'm not sure if it ever actually did touch the ground um but you know he makes he makes a mistake and that's one of the areas where i feel like bills fans have been so frustrated with dawson knox and 
you know, uh, throughout this season is that, you know, he, he misses a lot of time. He, when he, when he's back on the field, he's either invisible or, you know, drops have been a problem uh, now turnovers. And, you know, I th- I saw some people even talking about cutting him. He, he ended up having a uh, stinger suffered, uh, returned to the game, made a couple big plays, had seven targets, four catches, 34 yards. And, and, and had that big play near the goal line, uh, which, which funny enough, I mean, th- look, watching at the stadium, one of the benefits of watching live is you could see the whole field. Cole Beasley was wide open on that play. And Josh ended up going to the, you know, and, and you know, all is well that I guess ends well. Um, but Dawson Knox, what were your, what were your takeaways from him, from his game today? Yeah, real quick. Uh, Beasley probably r- walks that in untouched if he does to get the ball there. I mean, he was just wide open, but I was impressed with Dawson Knox, and I get it, that fumble. And it was real to fumble, even though it never hit the ground, because he made the catch and made a football move. So technically, it's a fumble, even though it never touches the ground. But anyways, after that play, he responded for the Bills time and time again. Like I mentioned, drawing that pass interference penalty. And it it was a clear penalty at the one-yard line. Uh, making that big third down catch and the run after the catch to move the chains to keep that drive going for Buffalo. That was a huge play. Kind of taking advantage of Pittsburgh's aggressiveness finally. I thought we might have seen some more screen passes, things like that. And they tried a few. They tried dialing up a few. He's still a second-year tight end. This is what we all have to realize. He was in a college offense that did not utilize the tight end position because of all the talent that they had at wide receiver. He was drafted for his athleticism. So the drops, the fumbles, they're maddening, they're frustrating. I get it. I understand completely. But we see those little flashes. Even even one of his catches, he he brought out the stiff arm, uh, ended up getting eight or nine yards on a catch. It's the little things that he can do. So, yes, there's going to be frustrating plays, but you have to remember this is a second-year player who is kind of like a a Josh Allen of the tight end position, a raw prospect. He is raw. Will he develop at the same pace as Josh Allen? Probably not. Completely different positions, completely different coaching. Uh, If you even get him progressing at half the rate that Josh Allen did, though, you're going to have a scary good tight end here in the next year or two. Live with the mistakes and realize how far – he's come already based on where he's come from and based on those athletic traits. Two touchdowns in the last two games entering tonight, some big plays in this game. Let's just see what he does over this final stretch and if he can be an an X factor come playoff time. You know something you should never do, Ryan? What's that? And I think that, you know, if I don't know how many professional athletes are watching our podcast right now, but for the for maybe the young future generation, never dance on a team's logo on their stadium, their building. It's it's just bad form. It's bad karma. It usually is going to bite you. And tonight it bit Juju Smith-Schuster in a pretty big way. Yeah, I was gonna say bad juju. Isn't that isn't that a saying right there? Like the, the bad karma, the bad boom, bad juju for juju. Dude, Ryan Ryan Talbot is always quick with the one liners. He's he's got the dad jokes on lock. That was a beautiful thing, my friend. <laughs> hey, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So, so juju had seven 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 targets, six catches, fifty five yards, and a touchdown. But a couple, you know, just bad plays and in, in in Jordan. I mean, the effort that that he gave was 
putrid on the Taron Johnson. And I went up and actually looked up there 40 times and Taron Johnson ran a four or five flat and Juju ran a four or five, four. So Taron Johnson's faster than Juju Smith Schuster, but come on, man. Like you didn't even make a play on the ball run and, and try to make a play to stop that guy from scoring a touchdown. And he came in here, you danced on the logo. You, you showed off. There was separate videos. He did two different videos on the logo. He did one for his TikTok account. And then he did another <laughs> one for Sunday night football that I saw posted separately. And you're going to come out here and, and put on a performance like this. I mean, listen, six catches for 55 yards on a touchdown is no, it's not a bad day at the office by any stretch. Well, you're going to do that. You better come in here on the national stage and ball out. Stefan Diggs balled out tonight, and he wasn't dancing on anybody's logo. And it's funny, Jordan Poyer said after the game that the Bills did notice that before the game. And that interception by Levi Wallace late in the game, or uh, maybe it was a different play. I, I forget now what he said. You know, the Bills were dancing up their them, their own selves uh, in celebration. And who knows? Maybe there was some something more to that. I have not heard from Juju Smith-Schuster. You know, maybe the renegade, uh, you know, phenomenon that, that took place on the Sunday night football game last year played into it. But I just thought bad form. Bad form, uh, just as bad as giving a team some some bulletin board material. You come out, you do that before the game, it fires them up. It gets them going. This is a guy that's dancing on our logo before the game, not only once, but twice for his own personal TikTok. Oh, 2020, personal TikTok dancing before games. It's a wild year, everyone. That's that's uh, another thing, Ryan. Like, if you're Mike Tomlin and you were, you were literally, like, dead-faced, absolutely fuming last week with all the drop passes. And obviously that's a position group that's been struggling. You come out in this game that it seems to still be a problem and not so much with Juju it was Deontay that dropped a couple balls and, and Eric Ebron. But man, if you're Mike Tomlin and you're seeing this guy that, you know, I get it. You want to be yourself and you want to be, you know, uh, you know, have, have your fun and, and be, you know, be your own person, but man, focus on the football, man, because the football is not going well for the Steelers offense right now. No, not going well at all. And I think Mike Tomlin's one of the best coaches in this league. Uh, but but he almost, coming into this game too, one thing that I want to quickly get off my chest here, uh, watching the ESPN pregame show, watching Rodney Harrison on NBC, uh, boy, they, they were hyping up the Steelers big time. Uh, a few of these analysts saying, oh, they had, Mike Tomlin had him in pads on Friday. Look out, Buffalo. Listen, it, it was a, you know, it's a tactic that you use when you feel like your team didn't play its best. Um, but it obviously didn't pan out tonight. The Steelers are reeling a little bit. The Bills actually have the door open here to uh, maybe claim that number two seed in the AFC. It would be a huge uh, move if Buffalo could move up there in these last few weeks. We'll see. They still have some uh, tough competition. Denver's playing really good ball now. The Patriots, although you know it, they're pretty much down and out for the year, they're still going to give Buffalo a run for their money. It's a division game. And then Miami, you mentioned it, Tua. But Tomlin, you know, I'm sure he's not going to be pleased with Juju's antics and he's going to say something to him and say, listen, we can't be giving teams any more material. Uh, they're, they're coming in motivated. Every team that plays us because they want to knock us off. Now we've lost two straight. Uh, there's going to be a lot of questions about this team going forward, and it's going to be up to Tomlin to really uh, reel Juju Smith-Schuster in and get this uh, Steelers team back on track heading into the playoffs. All right, man, we are, this, this, 
this is a weird, weird feeling. I, I, I've seen some people in the comments uh, talking about their reactions to the game. I mean, how are how are you guys feeling? I mean, we got uh, 250 people throughout all the all the different platforms. Thank you so much for staying up late with us. I saw somebody's joining us from Austria in the comments. Mm-hmm. Um, they're up early enjoying their Bills victory uh, across the across the sea. Um, but there's there's still a lot to talk about, and I want to get into a, a couple things. First of all, we saw tonight. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Levi Wallace. The Bills went with the rotation, and I think some of us were wondering if that could potentially be the next move with some of Levi's struggles in recent weeks. And, you know, it's two parts to this. Number one, to your earlier point in the podcast, I think it's an important one. I think sometimes we're so reactive to, you know, that that moment in time, that that singular game, that singular play, that you know, it's good that a lot of fans and media aren't, you know, making decisions and coaching uh, positions because you don't want to be reactive. It's 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 a very long season. There's a lot of different plays. And I thought Levi Wallace played really well tonight, but they Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott went with the rotation, much like they did last year with um, Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson. This time it was switching in Levi Wallace and Josh Norman. I thought that Levi really responded. Levi really responded, and Josh Norman even fared pretty well when he was in there. He made a nice play on a deep ball. Uh, So both guys played really well. But, yeah, and you have to wonder if sometimes the comments that the coaches make in week almost as a motivational tactic, too, and and saying, you know, Levi Wallace, he's got to make plays so teams don't pick on him. He didn't do enough of that against the 49ers. I'm sure Levi reads those clippings and he hears those comments and, and maybe it does give him that a little extra motivation. And yes, he was the one that was beaten for the first touchdown. Uh, he, he bit on the move by James Washington, but he had three passes defense. He had the interception where he read Ben Roethlisberger the entire way, took it to the house, uh, flipped the game in Buffalo's favor. So no, I'm sorry, that was Taron Johnson, but Levi Wallace had the interception. I, I should say later in the game, uh, the second interception. So it's it's one thirty in the morning, right? It is one thirty okay. in the morning. I'm a little frazzled <laughs> here, but he's he played great. He 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 responded to the critics, uh, whether it's the Bills fans, whether it's uh, whether it's just the the fans and football fans in general saying this guy keeps getting picked on, keeps giving up the receptions. He had an outstanding performance. Um, let's do another thing too. Uh, flipping it over to the offensive side of the ball, wherever you stand on Brian Dable, can we stop the, and I know this could, you, you can get into a space and, and a part of this season where there, there can be a rightfully frustrating situation. Tonight was one of them. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, you come out on national TV coming off the heels of how good that performance was last week. And you want to see your team come out and, and make a statement. I get it. You're, you're watching the game. You're emotional. That's what being a fan's all about. But let's dial back the the immediate uh, gear shift to all right. Well, you know who's going to hire Brian Dable as a head coach because this this offense looks terrible and this and that. You you can't take away what he's done to get this passing game to where it's at. I mean, going into this week, ranked number three in the NFL, which is you know thinking about that back in um, the off season. I mean. To, to where they are now, as hopeful as the most hopeful fan was, I don't think that anybody really envisioned that it would reach this level this quickly. I'm still amazed that the integration of Stefan Diggs has gone as seamless as it has. And I asked Sean, I'm going to put a story about this up tomorrow on, on Stefan Diggs, because 
he said one of the big, there was a, a sports center piece on, on digs before um, the game today. And he took, he went into detail about how things went wrong in Minnesota, why it didn't work out. And he felt that, you know, he wasn't, there wasn't truth in, 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 in how they envisioned his role and, and, and how they spoke to him about his role. And he said, one of the things about being here is he feels like his coaches and the players that he plays with believe in him and trust him. And there is that, that trust piece is so important. And Sean says, well, I feel like we have a lot of genuine people in the building here. And our culture is we bring people in, we love them up, which is what he said, and we let them be themselves. And I feel like you see that all across this locker room. You know, Deion Dawkins, I love that man. He is a weird dude. And I was talking to Bobby Johnson a couple weeks ago, and I still got a, a, a Dion story that's kind of uh, you know working its way through the uh, the spokes of the wheel a little bit. That'll be coming out uh, either this week or next week. And he said, "Listen, I got kids at home, which which helped me deal with it. There's some days where you know Dion's got me pulling my 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 hair out because he's so energetic and he he brings so much unique juice." But that's that's what you need. You need a room full of people that bring different things. And I think, you know, that's what's allowed this thing to get to the level it's at now. Yeah. And Bobby Johnson doesn't have much hair to pull out. He has a similar haircut to myself. But going back to like <laughs> Yeah. Going back to your original question, who's going to hire Brian Dable? Any team that has a young quarterback is going to hire Brian Dable in a heartbeat. I mentioned the Los Angeles Chargers last week. They have Justin Herbert, who has flashed big-time potential. You want to have a, a, co a coach like Brian Dable that can bring out uh, the, the best in him with a, with a team that already has Austin Eckler at running back, some quality wide receivers, uh, and a, a tight end that they'd have to re-sign in Hunter Henry. The pieces are there. A New York Jets team would probably love to have a Brian Dable because, hey, they're going to have probably Trevor Lawrence, number one pick in this uh, upcoming draft. They're going to have some cap space. They're going to have a coach that would know this division extremely well from his time in New England and in Buffalo. There are going to be teams that have Brian Dable at the top of their head coaching list based on what he's done with Josh Allen. No offense is going to go down, up and down the field and score touchdowns every single drive of every single game. But you saw in the third quarter, after a rough first half, Brian Dable went out, made adjustments. The Bills responded with two touchdowns. And going on to Stefan Diggs, yeah, after the game, Stefan Diggs praised Brian Dable, praised Josh Allen, praised Chad Hall. All these coaches, Sean McDermott, are doing a great job with these talented players and, and letting them be themselves. And you're seeing that on the field, you're seeing that off the field, and that's a big reason why the Bills are sitting here with 10 wins with three weeks to go. So I saw a comment in here on Levi Wallace and I saw some, you know, he gave up the touchdown, no doubt about it. He gave up a couple of receptions, but I think people underestimate the difficulty of playing opposite Tredavious White. I mean, every time we talk to these guys, I mean, Jordan Poyer came on the, on his press conference today and he said, Levi was a baller today, made a lot of plays, led the bills today with three pass breakups and an interception. I mean, really, if you're looking at, you know, defensive players in this game, he was among the best. 
And, you know, I, I think that you're going to have to deal with a couple of completions his way. There was a couple of completions Tredavious White's way. That's just the style of defense they play. You got to you got to remember the scheme of it. They play a lot of zone. They play a lot of bend, but don't break. They're looking to oppert- be opportunistic, force turnovers. And to, I just think to say that Levi uh, was bad for most of the game today, you must not have been watching it because I thought that he played. He he responded in a big way. And I think that, you know, if, if you're handing out game balls, you'd probably give him one of them. I mean, I, I think you'd go to Taron first because he completely changed the, 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 the complete complexion of this game. But I thought, um, I thought Levi Wallace was really good today. Yeah. Taron first, Darrell Williams second, and then probably Levi third. And yeah. So someone else complain and say, oh, well, he was beaten so badly on his interception. Yeah. He, he was beat, but he literally ran down the play on an underthrow and, and made an interception. He turned a negative into a positive. I don't, I don't know what else you want from him there. If Roethlisberger delivers a great ball and, and Levi's beaten, yep, then maybe we are talking more about that game because that would be two touchdowns allowed, but it didn't happen. We don't sit here and talk about what could have happened. We talk about what happened. And he, he, he made up that ground. He recorded an interception. He made a big play for this defense. I was just reading this on uh... – Bill, some Bills players are going a little bit in on Juju Smith-Schuster on social media right now. Tyrell Dobson just tweeted, uh, there's a video of the Bills dancing on the sideline with seven minutes left. And he tweeted that maybe that uh, the Bills should put that on TikTok. So Ooh. obviously some, uh, you know, the Bills took that seriously. And you got you to be careful, man. I think that's one thing that I've learned about this league and, you know, covering Sean McDermott and this, this Bills team, you go back to, you know, when we were walking through the facility and we saw the um, a tweet that they had put up in the building as kind of bulletin board material. And, you know, every little advantage in this league matters. And um, for, you know, for for the Bills, they're, they're obviously celebrating uh, the fact that uh, they got to dance a little bit tonight. But uh, let's talk about this offensive line, because I feel like it was a tale of two different halves. You mentioned Daryl Williams. I thought he was doing something really interesting tonight. We were noticing it in the press box where every play, it felt like he was really flirting with a, a, a false start penalty because it looked like he was trying to get a head start, get to his spot to give himself the best chance to block TJ Watt. Smart move because I think as he built that rhythm throughout the game, he was one of the best players in the field. Yeah, and they mentioned on on the uh, TV as well. He did get called once for the uh, for a false start, but it was about a half second before each snap. He'd kind of just make a little bit of move, and the officials were letting him get away with it, letting him do it. I've seen other right tackles and left tackles do it as well, so it's it's not like he's the first player to ever try it. But it was working out for him because, like you said, it got him in his spot. He could then take on uh, Watt one on one. You know, I think a lot of people thought the Bills were going to be keeping extra help back there, but Williams held his own. He was held, uh, called for a holding penalty, and there are a few plays I'm sure he'd like back, but for the most part, he was outstanding against one of the NFL's best pass rushers, uh, and it was more so the interior of the line that I thought really struggled in that first half. Yeah, it was, and you know the kind of mixture of things going on, they were struggling. Going up against Cam Hayward is obviously a mm-hmm. tough task, and it gets you thinking about like some of the playoff potential playoff matchups and, you know, Chris Jones uh, in a potential matchup against Kansas city. You saw how disruptive he was today. He was really good against the bills uh, earlier in the season. And, you know, he just got up paid in a big way. And there's a reason why, 
Um, but that's something that the Bills will have to continue to work on. And I think get having some continuity there with John Feliciano back in the mix, get Ike Bucker as much run as you can over the next three weeks to prepare him for that um, stretch run. What do you think now, Ryan? We're sitting here. The Bills sit at 10-3. and three. The um, Pittsburgh Steelers a game ahead of them at 11-2. and two. Is the two seed within reach? I, I really do think, you know, you saw the Chiefs today were prime for the taking. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough to catch them. But I think that the two seed is is within reach. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, they still have a couple tough games left. And I think that the Bills, if you look at their final three-game stretch, well, not, not easy by any stretch because you still got to go on the road to Denver, on the road to New England, and then host a Miami team that we saw give the Chiefs everything they wanted today. They're, they're three winnable games. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to, you know, run the table and finish th- 13 and three, but I think they can win two of two or two of these three games. And if Pittsburgh drops um, two more, you know, you could be looking at the two seed. Yeah, I think it's very possible. You know, Buffalo is getting healthier each week. Uh, they didn't seem to have too many serious injuries. And obviously a concussion is something to be worried about with Taron Johnson, uh, uh, Knox obviously came back in from the stinger. We saw Morse come back in from his injury. John Brown's eligible to return, but with the, uh, someone in the comments mentioned, who knows if he'd come back against Denver with, uh, they mentioned sickle cell there. So who knows there, but they're, they're getting healthier is the big thing. So down this stretch, yeah, they could go three and oh, I think Denver is the most winnable game despite them suddenly playing pretty well. On both sides of the ball, they were really hurting at cornerback today, and they responded in a big way. I was actually very impressed with their performance. But I think the Bills can have some success passing on them. I think you can rattle a, a Drew Locke uh, by the time they get the Patriots. Is it far-fetched to say that it could be Jarrett Stidham at quarterback? I don't think they have a future in Stidham. Do not get me wrong. Uh, he's thrown a, quite a few interceptions in his brief tenure. But at the same time, I think you're also ready to walk away from Cam Newton after this season based on what we've seen, based on the fact that they're kind of one-dimensional with him in, in, uh, at quarterback. So at least see what you have in Stidham. Can he be a reliable number two? So maybe they're going against Stidham, and that would be a pretty opportunistic game for Buffalo. And then finally against Miami, if, if the Bills have the number two seed to play for uh, and they play all their starters and it's at home, uh, in you know January against a Miami team that probably will want nothing to do with being in Buffalo in January. Yeah, you could win that one as well with the defense playing the way it is, the special teams playing the way it is, and the offense playing the way that it is. We've already seen Josh Allen have a lot of success uh, against Miami, not just this season, but throughout his career, and there's no reason to think that he can't do that again here in Week 17. It's going to be fun to cover this final stretch here as we move into the playoffs. We were talking about it before, right before we went on on line here. That um, what a bummer that Bills fans can't be a part of it. Driving up to uh, a a parking lot uh, filled stadium without any cars, and you know, going into a a stadium without any people in the seats, and and then leaving. It's such a bummer. Like in a season where the Bills finally have a team that this team would be this city would be absolutely insane about in that stadium. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bummer, but it's all the same in a COVID um, world that we live in. You have a bills football team. That's, you know, on the doorstep of something really special. I mean, I think that the, the, the expectations have been elevated and I think the possibilities are certainly much more vast than even the most, um, 
positive thinking fan thought at the beginning of the season. So we're sitting here 10 and three, the bills sit here uh, heading into this final stretch uh, before we get out of here, Ryan, final thought. Yeah. Final thought. Like you said, I wish the bills mafia could be there to enjoy it. Uh, I, I think that the stadium would have been rocking on that uh, Taron Johnson interception. I imagine they would have been rocking on both third quarter touchdowns, especially based on the struggles we've seen from this team in the third quarter this year. Uh, it, it is a shame they can't be in the stadium to be part of it, but at least you're along for the ride, getting to watch this at home, getting to see a team that is continuing uh, that trajectory that we've seen under the Sean McDermott, Brendan Bean era, where they keep going upwards. We're seeing the offense really obviously take off this year. The defense is catching up and we know the special teams have been pretty solid as well. This is one of the best teams in football. You look at the NFC, um, you know, I think that they could go head to head with any team in the NFC. They obviously went three and one against the NFC West. Uh, I think that they could go against a team like the Packers. It, it's hard to find a team in that other conference where you could say the Bills couldn't go toe to toe with them. So obviously they have to. They have a tough road in the AFC. The AFC is the superior conference. But enjoy this ride. The Bills are exceeding all expectations, like you mentioned. And they have a chance to to clinch a playoff berth tomorrow night on Monday Night Football if the Browns can take care of some business. Record breakers as well. Stephon Diggs on pace to break, to shatter the single season receiving record in receptions and yards. He tied Eric Moltz tonight. Josh Allen passed uh, Jim Kelly for most touchdowns in Bill's history for a single season. He's now sitting at 35 touchdowns uh, passing and rushing combined. And to your point, it is a special season. Follow it more in-depthly by subscribing to the Shout Football Podcast on all of your audio devices, your uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, wherever you get it, Podbean. Um, Subscribe. Give us a rating and review while you're there. We're going to bring you three shows a week throughout the season, all the way through the playoff run and maybe – I won't say it. You know, that's the last thing I want on my <laughs> conscience is, uh, you know, putting the cart before the horse and getting everybody all, all uh, hyped up. But for Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. We will be back on Wednesday night. We'll have a couple guests. I'm still working on the lineup. Anthony Marino will be one of them from uh, Buffalo Rumblings. We have Bruce Exclusive on, and I, and I was thinking, we haven't had Anthony Marino on yet. So we're going to get him. He's the host of uh, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings and just an awesome Bills Mafia follow. If you don't already, make sure that you do. And we'll talk to him on Wednesday. And until then, get some sleep. I know you're wired. Uh, it's been fun. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Have a great night. Keep it locked on to Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. Have a good night, everyone. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. 